happy Easter, everyone. It's great to be in worship with you this morning. He is risen. I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are with us this morning for the first time. So glad you're here. And I realize in a room this size on a day like today, some of you are not followers of Jesus. You've just come because a family member or a friend promised you lunch or brunch afterwards. So I get that, and we're, we're so glad you're here. Um, if you are someone here this morning who uh, would say of yourself, I am not a Christian, I don't really even like to say the word Christian because that's so loaded, and, um, but you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't believe in the story you all are celebrating today. I think if you were to come up here and tell me why that is for you, maybe because of the family you grew up in, the church you grew up in, maybe it's because you've never really been exposed to the story of Jesus, maybe it's because of something someone who said they were a Christian did in your life. I bet if you were to come and say why, here's what I think I probably would say, yeah, totally get that. No judgment here. Absolutely, certainly not going to judge you for that. Um, but if you and I were out to coffee and you were to ask me, in other words, I wasn't like, you know, coming after you, but you were just to ask me, Susie, I'm not a follower of Christ and I know that you are. Can you just for a minute give me your best shot as to why you would want to convince me, to try to convince me, to just consider the way of Jesus? I want you to know that I would not try to defend the history of the church because there's been a lot of goofy things that have happened in church history, a lot of embarrassing moments. I also would not try to defend uh, some of the things you have heard Christians say, some of the ways that Christians have treated certain people groups. I would not try to defend that. I also would not try to convince you with the Bible. I would not say, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, because here's the thing. The truth is there were thousands and thousands and thousands of followers of Christ before there ever was a Bible. So I wouldn't start with the Bible. If you were to give me one opportunity to try to convince you to consider the way of Jesus, I would start with the event that we are celebrating together this morning. I would start with the resurrection. Now, uh, if you were with us on Good Friday, you heard us say, uh, a guy rising from the dead 2,000 years ago, can anybody prove that happened? The answer is no, no one can. What we know is that there has been a community of people for several thousand years who insist something happened, and the tomb is empty, and that if you trust this story, something will be unleashed and unlocked in your heart and in your life. And so uh, for those of you who think, come on. How far-fetched is this? Can I just ask you, would you try it? Would you try living in this story? Mary Oliver once said this, keep some room in your heart for the unimaginable. Now, I remember when I was in college, there was a group of people who uh, were quite pushy about 
getting others to pray a prayer so they'd go to heaven when they die. Pray this prayer, go to heaven when you die. And I remember getting in some animated discussions about, so is following Jesus really just about the death benefit? And I wasn't very popular in that conversation, but is it really just about the death benefit? Or is there anything about the way of life in Jesus? And as a pastor and small business owner here in town, I talk to a ton of people. I hear a ton of stories every week. And I can say that I would choose the way of life offered in Jesus even if there weren't any death benefits. To me, following Jesus isn't just the best way to die. It's also the best way to live your one and only life. Not because it's pain-free, but because it's meaningful. And there are three words that I think encompass following God in the way of Jesus. And those three words are relationship, community, and purpose. Relationship, community, and purpose. Now, despite what you've heard, maybe, about Christianity... And we've heard a lot about Christianity this past year, you know, about how evangelical Christians vote and so on. But despite what you have maybe heard about Christianity, at its absolute essence, at its core, following God in the way of Jesus should not be thought of as a religion or a set of rules or rituals. It should not even be thought of as a set of creeds or theological beliefs. It certainly should not be thought of as a voting block. In its absolute essence, following Jesus is a personal, ongoing connection with the living God. At its core, at its essence, it is a personal, ongoing connection, relationship with the living God. And when you discover this, it changes the quality of your everyday life. It's not just the death benefit. It's that you are walking day in and day out with the knowledge that you are holding the hand of one who has defeated a far greater foe than any foe or any adversary or any trouble you are facing. You are holding the hand of one who's defeated a far greater foe. Now, um, the thing is, this relationship, it changes everything. And at the core of following Jesus is this relationship with the living God. So that's relationship. Then there is community. Following God in the way of Jesus is not meant to be a solo sport. It's meant to be lived. It's meant to be practiced together in the context of a community of faith a place where we show up and we practice together loving and being loved, serving and being served. The second part of these are sometimes the harder than the first, right? Celebrating and being celebrated. We practice these things together in the context of a faith community. There is, in my view, and this is just my opinion, there's nothing on earth like a faith community when a faith community is working right, where we practice showing up 
and being seen and living out our faith together and taking risks together. There is nothing on earth like a faith community when a faith community is working right. Um, Some of you, you need one. You don't have one. And I just want to encourage you to go find one. Go find one. And we'd invite you to explore this one if that would be meaningful to you. But community, huge part of following Jesus. And then there's purpose, purpose. For so many people, life's grand purpose is the pursuit of money or achievement or fame. Nothing wrong with those. Nothing wrong with pursuing money or fame or achievement. I just don't think those are big enough. They're not grand enough. They're not large enough for your one and only life. They are not big enough. And what can happen is if you're pursuing one of those, achievement, for example, you could be climbing, 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 climbing this ladder and reach the end of your life and just real, realize this ladder is up against the wrong building. But on the other hand, if you find your purpose in God's purpose and in his larger kingdom, and you know how he's designed you, and you start living that out, and you start sensing his smile on your everyday life, there's no greater thrill. There's no greater thrill than that. So there's purpose, and because of relationship and community and purpose, I would choose the way of following Jesus, even apart from the death benefits. And this is just my opinion, but I think it's simply the best way to live your one and only life. But also, we're all going to die. No one escapes it. Do you guys ever read The Onion? So The Onion's satirical site said this. World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that Despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. So true. Death defeats everyone. No one escapes it sooner or later. It always has and it always will. It defeats the rich and the powerful, and it defeats the poor and the marginalized, all of us. 1 Timothy 1.10 says, Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The scriptures say that everyone, everyone will experience a resurrection beyond the grave. We will all rise again after death. The question is this, which reality will you rise to? One reality centers on the presence of God where we enjoy relationship and community and purpose forever. The other reality is devoid of the presence of God where there is no relationship, community, or purpose forever. The Bible calls that one hell And actually, the scriptures teach, we can start living in these realities now, and then they carry on into eternity. So some of you say, yeah, I'm living in hell right now. And that's how the scriptures talk about it. 
here's the thing. No one's candle is just going to get blown out at the end of life. Not yours, not mine. All of us are going to rise. All of us will be resurrected to one of these two realities. And here is the good news of Easter. The gospel, which means good news, the good news of Easter is this. Jesus has destroyed death, and he's brought life. And there is this open invitation, this absolutely open invitation to enter into the family of God. There is an open invitation to any and all who want to enter into a relationship with the living God. The door to the family of God is open, and it's open to anybody. It's open to all. It is open to all races, creeds, ages, sexual preferences, political party involvements. It's open to all. And here is the cool thing, and I love, I just love, love, love seeing this light bulb come on for people, as it did for me, and continues to spiral into my life deeper and deeper. The entrance requirement to the family of God, it's mercy-based, not merit-based. This is totally unique to the story of Jesus. To my knowledge, every other faith system in the world is merit-based, meaning if I earn enough merit badges throughout life, there'll be some payoff at the end. But Jesus teaches the polar opposite. Jesus teaches that nobody can earn enough merit badges to impress a totally holy, totally righteous, totally sinless God. Nobody can earn enough merit badges. Not Mother Teresa, no one. So Jesus says that God sent Christ to atone for our wrongdoing. And then what he did is he announced to the world, the family of God is open and it's free of charge because of God's mercy. It is free of charge. So that is the reality that has changed my life and it keeps changing my life, the mercy of God. It just keeps like a spiral into my soul. It just keeps bringing me deeper and deeper into the reality of what Christ has done and the life that we are offered in him. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us not because of righteous living, not because of righteous things we had done, not because of merit badges, but why? Because of his what? Mercy. Not merit badges, but mercy. Jesus one time told a story to a group of people. And the story was two guys go to the temple to pray. No, not two guys walk into a bar. That's what you're thinking right now. So he tells the story. Two guys walk into the temple to pray. The one guy prays and says this. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector, because I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all I get. What is that guy doing in prayer? He's showing God his merit badges. He is proving and he is posturing that he is worthwhile because of what he does. 
and he ought to be accepted by God because of what he does. Jesus says the other guy comes into prayer and says this, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, Jesus says to a large crowd, he says, the second guy is justified before God. Why? Because entrance into God's family is mercy-based, not merit-based. It's not what I did. It's what Christ has done. No proving, no propping himself up. The second guy just simply says, I have screwed up, and I throw myself utterly and fully on the mercy of God. So here's the obvious question as we wrap up here on Easter morning. Are you, not the person sitting next to you, not the person you're thinking about right now, not the person you wish you would have come, wish you would have come with this morning, or you, are you sitting in your seat, are you aligned with God's mercy-based program. Another way to say it is, have you totally abandoned the merit-based plan? And then if the answer to that is, yeah, yeah, I think so. Let me ask you this. When was that for you? When did that light bulb go on for you? When did that become real for you? When did you accept that God's plan is mercy-based and not merit-based. Would you take out this card? They should be in the pews in front of you. If you see some, pass them around. I'd love every person in the room to hold a mercy card in their hand. We're not going to collect these. These are just for you to take home as a reminder of this Easter. But take a mercy card, hold it up once you have it so I can see you have it. All right, take a look at this word mercy. And let me ask you this. Do you believe God's system is mercy-based? And if so, flip the card over, and I want to ask you this. When was it that you, not the person next to you, when was it that you actually, personally, formally, threw yourself on the mercies of God. When did you do that? When did that become real for you? When did you intentionally and personally throw yourself on the mercies of God? Now, some of you, you're going to be like, oh, I know exactly when. August 5th, 1985. And some of you are going to be like, eh, it's kind of more of an era for me. You'd be like freshman year in college or when my parents went through that divorce or when I went through that breakup when I met that person. But in just a minute, Charlie's going to come up, and he's going to play a song for us to listen to. And what I want to ask you to do during this song is to take a pen. They're in the pews all around. I want to invite you to just sign your name and write the date or the era when this became real for you. Now, for some of you, you're like, um, yeah, I do, I do believe that God's plan is a mercy-based plan, but I have never. I can't think of a time when it really became fully, personally, that I threw myself on the mercy of God. Maybe for you, you just write Easter 2017, like just to clear that up. 
if that would be meaningful to you. But we're going to listen to this song. We're going to worship together. And I invite you to reflect on your own journey of coming to understand and see that God's mercy is what saves us. And then it is his mercy, his mercies that are new every morning. So if it would be meaningful to you, you could take this, like put it in your bathroom mirror and be reminded that his mercies are new every morning. But grab a pen and let's reflect together. Would you pray with me as we close? God, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for your life, for your death. We thank you for Easter. We thank you that your mercy saves us. And we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for the fresh start that Easter can be. Some of us so desperately need a fresh start. Thank you that Easter can be that fresh start. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. In the powerful name of the risen Jesus, we pray. And everybody who agreed said, amen.